<laughs> John, you want to come on up? Well, I got the word yesterday afternoon about 3 o'clock that Kyle is suffering from flu and cold symptoms and would not be able to be here this morning. So I, oh, what are we going to do now? You mean Levi could have called me before 6? Yeah, he could have. <laughs> and Levi said, well, I could call John. So he called John, and pretty soon I got the word back. John said, I've got this. So I said, well, praise the Lord for that. So we're glad to have John here with us this morning. Um, and I'd just like to pray for him before he begins. Father, thank you for John and for his willingness to come share your word with us. And we just pray now that as he opens the word, uh, what you have to say through him would touch our hearts, would touch our minds, and just pray that our ears would be open to what you have to say to us. We just ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. This is an easy one because I'm just going to read 18 chapters of the Westminster Confession of Faith. We good with it? Have you read that? It's pretty rich. But I actually had something marked here, but then I kind of put that aside because... Darla does such a great job picking when I just, I, she'll ask me questions and I'll just give her like nothing. And somehow, somehow she comes up with great stuff. But let me read this, uh, what we just sang, because I think sometimes we sing things and we know songs and we don't really pay attention to what we're doing. And it's almost like we just kind of made a pact or an oath with the Lord. And it says, living for Jesus who died in my place, bearing on Calvary, sin and disgrace. Such love constrains me to answer his call Follow his lead and give him my all. And then the, the kind of the pact we just sang was, Oh Jesus, Lord and Savior, I give myself to thee for thou and thine atonement didst give thyself for me. I own no other master. My heart shall be thy throne. My life I give henceforth to live. O Christ for thee alone. If we got up every day and just prayed that before we got moving, right? I and mean, wouldn't that just, it just changes so much. Um, and you guys have a good Sunday. I mean, really, we could. So I, I've debated about, you know, I always, I always have funny stories to start with, and I, I feel like this is not an appropriate story to share from the pulpit. So I'm not going to do it, but yeah, I'm going to go ahead and do it. So I'm taking a census. How many hands did I shake today? If I shaked your hand, we raise it. Keep it up so everybody can look around and see if you didn't get to shake my hand. All right, you can put it down now. Um, it was kind of last minute, and then my printer didn't work, and so I had to go to the office and print stuff off. And my dog goes everywhere with me, uh, so he went to the office with me. And I'm, he's begging, and I'm throwing pretzels across the room, and he's eating them and trying to keep him from whining. And then he comes and sits beside me like he does in the truck, and he does at home. And I'm just kind of lightly scratching his right, right underneath here, you know, his chest, and not, not digging in, just lightly scratching it. And then as I'm reading and kind of talking out loud... I kind of run up his chin and I'm like, well, that is not, that's a weird appendage. And so I kind of, and then I look down and realize I was scratching under his tail. <laughs> so it's glad to shake your hand this morning. Might want to wash him. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, I, I did wash him several times, but really shouldn't have shared that. And I had to really be careful how I went through my words because I may have said a few things out of confess to the Lord. Um, anyways, uh, my son is getting back from Japan tomorrow, so he couldn't be here. And it was kind of like we have family from out of town. And so Amy's and her parents are like one hour they're going to be there. And so uh, and Chloe was out hunting this morning, which I hope she didn't get anything because my shop is full of her stuff already. So they're they're gone. But um, 
in light of uh, I was thinking about this because we have barbecue coming up and my wife has really gotten I don't even know how. And I know most of you are going to wince, but she's really gotten into canning and actually does a phenomenal job. But she made this cowboy candy, which everybody here makes. And so she had all this leftover brine. This has nothing to do with the story or with the sermon. But she made this leftover brine and turned it into barbecue sauce. You ain't never had nothing like it. In fact, I'm going to bring a jar. I mean, I was eating it like pudding. I'm like, we're going to make a million dollars here. And I said, how did you make this? She goes, I don't have a clue. I threw this in there. You better go back. And you and so I came back like an hour later because I was working on something. She's like writing stuff down. And I don't think it'll ever be the same, but she may be stuck in the kitchen figuring it out. Um, two things. Can I talk about you, Levi? Is that okay? All right. It's I'm guilty uh, hanging out with him. Please don't judge me. Um, but it also provides plenty of stories and anecdotes. And I hate to always kind of focus on him, but um, I I wore out my boots. They just fell apart. And you know what? It's not that I'm broke, but I hate buying something like that. And so I started selling stuff out of my shop that I didn't need. Um, and I'd get the cash in my pocket. I'm like, I'm going to get some boots. And there's a couple times I drove around there and I knew which ones I wanted. And they're like 240 bucks. So I'd have the money in my pocket and I'd roll it into family center. And I'm like, not today. I'm just go home. And then that, that money just flies out of your wallet. You know, hey, we need new carpet for the basement. All right. Here's the money for it. And I just mutter no boots today, you know. And so I'd sell something else and put the money in there. And my son went to Japan. Hey, he needs some cash. And I'm like, OK, there goes my money for that. So I just I wasn't bitter or anything, but I did pray the Lord for some boots. And a guy gave me a pair of brand new Ariettes and I wore them around. I was so thankful. They were expensive boots, but they just squeezed my foot like a vice and it hurt. And so I put them beside my bed and I still was like, well, that wasn't a very good provision. Um, and then I'm driving home from the gun show and Levi calls and says, you got boots at Sutherland's for 30 bucks. And I went and picked up three pair for ninety dollars. And I'm. Was, you know, at first he's like, I got a great deal. And that was awesome. Then you realize I just in the process of being stubborn, I somehow waited on the Lord and he provided. And I know that's a lesson he's been trying to teach me is I ask for things and then I get to work and make it happen and never give him a chance to show me how great he can actually be. Um, There's a parlay a little bit into that, um, because we're going to talk about servanthood uh, today. And I think about sometimes, you know, we have tasks that the Lord has given us and things that he asks us to do. And the energy and the effort we put into it is very meager. It's like, okay, I'm going to share Christ with someone today. But how hard do we really look? How do we really engage people? How do we really, okay, I'm going to work for someone today. And we just kind of show up and do a meager effort. But how hard do we really look? And I'm sorry if that brings me to my second story about Levi. So... I decided one day, well, he called me and wanted me to come do silage with him. And so I can share that, right? Okay. And so he's got this, I don't know anything about, I'm learning everything. I I ask him questions, I just pack it away. And then I talk to people like I know farming. You know what I mean? I'm like using words and making jokes and they they think I'm some farmer, but I'm not. Um, But so he's got a silage wagon, which they're deep, right? And when you fill them up, there's a mountain in there. And hit this big chain that feeds everything out to the front, spits out the side, breaks. And so we're stuck with this silage wagon full of silage. And Levi's the first one to crawl up in there, start shoveling. And I'm kind of reconciling in my mind, like, really? 
I don't know if I want to do that. First of all, I'm trying to dis- debate on whether chiggers exist in silage. <laughs> Turns out they do. Not to him, but to me. They, they're like, oh, there's a soft guy. I'm going to bite him everywhere. But I get in there and he's in the back. He looks like some refugee child hidden in the back of a, of a truck. And he's back there in the very back shoveling up onto a pile. And Nate, Ellie's brother-in-law, gets in and I get in. And next thing you know, it's like we're, I don't think we were competing Really, but we were trying to keep up with each other, and so we got it done. I mean, we were sweating. It was still hot then, and uh, it was like we had a task, and it just had to be done, and neither one of us wanted to be the lazy guy, and we just wanted to get it done, and I think sometimes, like, that's the energy and effort. You know, even if you're doing something like this weekend coming up, which this is a a great topic to discuss, is because the whole thing is about servanthood. And at times you get bitter and personalities are a little rough and you guys talk and somebody wants to take control and somebody else wants control and we all butt heads because something has to be done this way and it gets done another way. Who really cares? Who cares who wins, right? Get the work, get the task, figure out how to make it gel and get it done. So if I do a little more reading of stuff I wrote, it's just because I didn't have time to like really chew over it. So just forgive me for looking down. Um, Our role as a Christ follower is to follow Christ as a servant to the Lord and then to let go of whatever our worry is in daily situations. Trust him as the provider. He is the provider. We are his servants. Does that sound pretty simple? Like You all kind of agree with that, right? But it's a little more complex than that. Um, why do we struggle so much with that framework? Be a servant and trust him to provide. Is it because we are independent? We just do it for ourselves. Are we impatient? I know I am. Do we not know our role as a servant? Is there a lack of trust in the Lord to provide? Have we always had to take care of everything ourselves on our own? So we ask the Lord and then we get busy trying to make it happen. I mean, that's, Something he's really trying, and I'm not good at it. Because I, in my mind, if it needs to be done, I can do it, and I get to work doing it. Right after I ask the Lord to take care of it. And so sometimes you need to learn patience. I think about, I've had this, this is this topic here has just, just been sitting kind of on the forefront of my mind. And it's just something he's been working with me. And I think to myself all the time, like as I'm mowing, I'm doing whatever, and I think of something, and I think, oh, I can't wait to share that with you guys. And so when Levi called, I was like, it was that I knew what I was going to talk about, like the second he asked. So um, and I've got the opportunity in my office and in life to share the surmise kind of shrunk down lesson of this, which is uh, and most of the guys I get to talk to are blue collar workers. And so it's easy to say, OK, if you're a journeyman or you're a master, whatever, or you're you're a farmer and you know your ins and outs or you're um, a homemaker and you, you, you know how to cook really well and somebody wants to learn from you, whatever it is, you've got an apprentice, you've got somebody who wants to learn and you're going to teach them something, right? And they get in there and they get their hands busy and you're talking to them, but you ever seen somebody just kind of take over? Not really, you can tell they're not listening, they're just doing it, right? And so I've had that happen a few times, I'm sure I've done that a lot. And I think, what do you do? I ask the, ask the guys, what do you do? And they say, I just stand back. Let them do it. I mean, assuming they're not going to cut a hand off or burn themselves to death, just let them do it. Figure out, make their mistakes, and then they'll listen. And I think a lot of times that's what the Lord does with us. We say, Lord, will you, will you give me some new boots? 
I don't know what it is. It doesn't matter what it is. But will you give me, will you take care of me, you provide for me, you meet this situation. And then we completely disregard the fact that he's there. And we're busy making it happen in a way that is not going to be as awesome as he could do. And so he sits back and lets us go. Maybe we pull the money out of something else or we sell something. Or we do whatever we do. And now we're pinched because of it. And it doesn't have to be about money. But that's the example that I keep thinking about for myself. So let's take a look um, at what, first of all, we want to look at what Jesus did in regards to servanthood. And so first, I think we would all agree that Jesus did many things when he was here on earth in the flesh. First and foremost, he became the victor of sin and death and was willingly and willingly paid the price for all of our sin in order to save us from death. I think of healing, I think of talking and of listening and most of all, taking the time to teach and oftentimes to individuals that were questionable, who witnessed it, like Zacchaeus, um, the woman at the well. Um, I think about, I dropped the vehicle off. I shouldn't have said vehicle, because now you can probably figure out who it is. I dropped an item off um, to a guy, and I brought another guy with me to pick it up when he couldn't figure it out. And so he said, do you need help loading that? And I said, no, I got a guy out there. He's blah, blah, blah. I'm trying to keep names out of here. And he says, whoa, I'm kind of running with a tough crowd. And I said, everybody needs Jesus. <laughs> you know, so if I hang out with you, it's not because you need Jesus. But I'm just saying. Um, oftentimes, our attitude is determined to a degree by those whom we surround ourselves with. Each historical account that we see had a different set of cast members. So as we read through, there's always a background group of people. But in especially in the New Testament, we see that there was kind of this consistent 12. And so I started out just kind of looking deep at like I like to read the scriptures and think about like the cast members outside. What were they thinking? What were their attitudes? Why did they react the way they did? Well, where we're going to be is in Mark 10. So if you want to turn there, but it's I mean, every time I read like just a little story, I can see the disciples and even the people around and I'm like. Man, I could see myself a little bit there or some of the some things that have happened. So in the mix of the disciples, we had tradesmen or blue collar workers. We had a tax collector, fishermen, and we had a zealot, which a zealot was like somebody who was kind of political, kind of like a politician pushing for a revolt against Rome. And so if you think about those those uh, what they did in their past to kind of make them who they are, it's like tax collector. When you think of a. Think about old days, tax collectors. I think about like some of the movies like Robin Hood, you know, the tax collector and how they were despised and how, you know, you kind of get this feel for how people would have felt about them. Now you throw them in the mix with a blue collar worker and how, how did they coincide? How did they work? How did they respond to people? And so the point being is that there there were mostly hardworking men. And in the instances that there weren't, there were men who were strong, had strong personalities, often rash conniving, distrusted. However, being around Christ, he would permeate their lives and he would change them. But we still see their underlying personalities pop out into accounts. And so we still would see how they would handle the situation. And so now I'm going to jump off on a bunny trail. And that's why it's okay to be you. So when and I say this because when we have things like this weekend coming up and it's crazy busy and hectic and tasks have to be done and you know maybe you don't like someone's personality or maybe maybe they take control or maybe this person doesn't know what they're doing and and 
that's personalities. Like they can love the Lord and they can try to serve him and not be exactly like you. And it's just fine. So you learn how to work with them and be, and be a servant for the Lord. It's not about everybody acting like you want them to act. Um, not that I'm scolding you or anything. So let's run to thir- uh, verse 13. Mark chapter 10, verse 13. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. Isn't that interesting? Now, imagine Jesus goes from place to place. He's rarely rested. He's definitely, in a worldly point of view, very overstimulated by the presence of needy people and in pours the parents of high-pitched, over-energetic children being released on Jesus like drinking from a fire hydrant. I've seen that happen before. Like, I'm, I'm in my office, the door shut. I'm, I cannot keep up. I know people are irritated because they've had to wait too long. And then... A mom walks in and their kid, just the presence of that energy makes the people who have already tried to be patient less patient. And I can't, I have a little bit, I have a lot of ADHD. So like I hear a scream, my mind goes this way. I hear a scream and I'm trying to focus right here. Don't ever come when it's busy with little kids or you're going to get terrible treatment. Um, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. So. In verse, let's see, I don't know why I have this number here. Hang on, I'm coming. The twelve were not having it. I know to a small degree how this feels. Loud and obnoxious kids are funny when I really like their parents. But not so much if their parents are less likable. Am I right? Come on, you could admit it. So, maybe not you though. (laughs) You're nicer than me. (laughs) Um, Verse 14, when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. That is, Jesus was angry or annoyed at what is perceived as unfair treatment. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them and blessed them. I like the sound of that kid, just by the way. I don't want to seem like I don't. (laughs) Um, He received the children. He taught the twelve a lesson in value of a child and in a child's mindset. And he gave of himself as he blessed the children. So I'm thinking about Friday in the office. I mean, we had an insane morning. We didn't get out till for lunch till 2. We take lunch at 1. Had to be back at 2.30. Um, got back, five cars waiting in the parking lot. Get done at 5, but actually got done at 6.30. Lady walks in, sweet lady. She walks in the front door. She says, no, no, no. She brought us coffee or something i don't know um actually she brought culver's ice cream that's what it was and i'm like do you need a treatment and she goes no 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 just after hours i'm not going to do that to you and then in comes this car i mean so hard it looked like it blew the tires off of the curb stops and runs in and i'm like okay and they're like oh, i'm so somebody else who was staying there so i'm so sorry i shouldn't have i should oh, it's okay so i took him back and treated him Sat down and visited with her for 20, 30 minutes. We're deep into seven now. And here comes another car. Bam! Hits the curb. And so I'm like, all right. So I take him back and, and treat him. And I'm thinking of that because the next, as we move on, it says in, in 17, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. It's a good teacher, he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, this is not a 10-second question, right? He runs in. Jesus is all done. He's moving on, and this guy runs in with a million-dollar question. 
And I almost get a slight hint at his reply, which was, I don't want to say the Lord is sarcastic, but I kind of pick up on that as I read it. It says, which makes me feel a little bit better about myself because I think that's one of my gifts I was anointed with at birth. Um, in 18, he says, why do you call me good? Now, he's not answering the question. He's just answering the, the very first part. He says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And then he continues, you know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And the guy says, teacher, all these things I have kept since I was a boy. And Jesus looked at him and Jesus loved him. And one thing, he said, one thing you lack, go and sell everything that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. And Jesus looked around and said to the disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed or they were surprised at his words. But Jesus said again, children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more surprised and said to each other, who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible. Then Peter spoke up. We have left everything to follow you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fall, will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, along with persecutions and in this age to come to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and last will be first. So what does Jesus do here as a servant? First of all, the guy comes in after hours and he receives him. Right? Didn't see him really hiccup or take a minute. But it was, I mean, you call it inconvenient because he just did a lot of work and he's moving on and now he's got to stop again. And he listens to his plea and he offers up real life changing and direct advice to challenge him. But did you catch that part where it said he loved him? I mean, I don't, for us, we're like, yeah, but for the son of God to love him, he looked at him and loved him because he knew he wanted something, but he also knew at the same time he couldn't give up what he needed to to get it, but he loved him. He takes this opportunity to teach not only the bearer of of the question, but to teach the 12 something deep and meaningful that will leave them scratching their heads to fully comprehend. And that... Another little bunny trail, but that's the thing about God is when we try to understand what he's doing in a situation, he's doing 10 other things. He's got these strings in a situation you're praying about and he's he's affecting everybody in it to bring them closer to him and just give himself glory and make him greater in their lives. So get out of the way and let him do it. You know, just go to go about the work of being a servant. Next, we have a dialogue of exchange where Jesus attempts to tell the twelve the full script of what is going on, what is going to happen leading up to his crucifixion. If you keep reading through that, like he's literally lays the game plan out. And it's kind of a sad story, right? I mean, he's telling he's going to be flogged and 
and he's going to be on trial. And James and John, I mean, right away, this, this is how they respond. They see an opportunity and seek to posture up a little bit, asking to be seated at the right hand and the left hand of Jesus Christ. And Jesus called them together and he says, you know that you, that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them, but not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. And we have the benefit of seeing that down on writing, right? We can read through it. I read through it the first couple of times, and I'm trying to write. I know what it means, but like, what's it mean, you know? And so I can look it up, and I can, they had to like, they hear it, they can't replay it. And you know they were utterly confused with that statement. But what he's saying is that true greatness does not come from having power and influence over people, but consists in humble service. He tells his ambitious disciples that everyone is important and that greatness comes from being available and willing to serve all people. In verse 45, after all of that, it says, for even this is probably the to me the most important thing. In 45, it says, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. Kind of the ultimate example of that. And if you remember, I don't know how long ago it's been, but we talked about um, when we. Let me make sure I'm not jumping ahead of myself. I do that. Yeah, let me hold that for a second. So there you have it. The ultimate unarguable example of Christ as a servant. Serving humanity while he was here for the sole purpose to serve in his death, his burial, his resurrection, winning a battle we could not win. Stilling the devil's power over death. Amen. I mean, that's all the only power he had was over death. Jesus took that away. Now we have the opportunity for life. And so he has no power lest we give him power and offering victory to give us life. If we keep on reading, we see the last last example of his servanthood. Um, that we're going to talk about today, and that's with blind Bartimaeus. So in verse 46, Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted even more, And son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called the blind man, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. Throw his cloak aside. He jumped, throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Seems like all these people have a diversion for loud noises. Like they almost seem irritated with him. And the guy was crying out, and they basically told him to shut up. Jesus replies, call him. And I imagine the scene is, I see these two uh, exclamation marks, and I I can kind of see him like, okay, moron, get up. You know, I'm sure they didn't say that because Jesus could hear him, but they kind of probably thought I'd like to kick a rock at the guy, or when he walked by, somebody nudged him just because they're irritated with him. But, I mean, that's just the, the tension that was there, and and... Jesus hears the man and he values the fact that he has faith. We've seen other examples where Jesus intended on doing something amazing in a place and just passed by because there was no faith. 
And he values his faith and, and has grace on him and gives him sight. Jesus never got a moment. People always asked something of him. The desperate cries, the questions, the needs never stopped, but neither did Jesus. He never stopped. He gave us the ultimate example of, of a servant. So if you'll remember, we talked about Romans 10.9. Everybody know Romans 10.9? If you know the address. So that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and you are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. So the emphasis there, and I seem to focus on it because I, I think we graze over it, is that Jesus is Lord and what that means. So previously at some point we had talked about Jesus being Lord and and the value in him being Lord. And now I want to take that confession, that confess, and break it down into four points. Um, there's, it's kind of like this more difficult word to really grasp all of the branches that are, that, um, that are involved. But it also gives us a blueprint for how we should live in order to be a servant. So the first point of confession is to tell her to make known. And that is... To God. That's a, that's a, uh, reaction when we confess to God on an intimate, life-changing level, turning away from any and all little gods that we've held high in our lives and replacing them with Jesus. Fixing your eyes, your heart, your innermost being on Him. So number one of confession is to tell or to make known. Number two is to acknowledge. This is to yourself. Okay? To acknowledge to your core. Right in here. That he is now and forever your Lord. Committing to wake up and acknowledge that daily as you become less so that he may become more. This is a living agreement. Because how many times do you make a real good solid decision based on the Holy Spirit impressing upon you? And like three weeks later, you're not doing it anymore, right? So this is, this is a living agreement and acknowledgement that you give to yourself as you confess him your Lord. Number three. To declare faith in or adherence to. Now, this is your outward expression. So, as you walk with the Lord, you show up on the scene, whether it's work, church, the gas station, the yard, the garden, the home, the Facebook marketplace transaction, the restaurant. I don't really care where you're at, but you show up with the Lord and with your declaration and your adherence to a bond that you made with the Lord Jesus. And then number four of confession, to give evidence of and finally, this gives evidence to everyone of your commitment. People will change. They will come to expect that Jesus will be with you, that you care and will serve them, and they will trust you with things that they would not trust with anyone else, whether it's a story, something on their heart, a prayer, a task. You'll see that they know you are, I don't like to use the word safe place, but you are a safe place. You will provide a healing that can only come from serving Jesus as Lord. You will provide a peace that can only come from the Lord. A break from the monotony of a world that is bitter, that is burned, that is worn out, leaving all the places where you go better than when you arrived. How do people react when you walk in the door? I mean, are you just a shadow? Or do they know you're bringing the joy of the Lord with you? You're leaving it a better place because that's our job. That's our task. They should see a difference. And that is the evidence 
of a confession that he's your Lord. So how does all of this serve us? What is the wraparound? So think for a minute, like hear me, but really think internally. What has been your repetitious struggle? What is, you know, that feeling here that stresses you? That you just, you move on with your, and it comes back. You move on with your day and it comes back. I don't know, maybe it's money. Maybe you're working harder than you ever had. And this current thing we call an administration is yielding higher than ever prices for everything. And you're scraping and stressing about it. You've asked the Lord to provide. Right? Maybe you're dealing with a health condition of some kind. Maybe someone you love is sick and you don't know except to pray and to plead and to worry what else you can do. Maybe you feel underappreciated and undervalued. Do you give and give and it feels like for what? So here's my challenge to you. Serve, not give to everyone just for the sake of doing it. That's not what I'm asking you to do. You don't just do it just because you're a servant. You serve to bear witness of a confession that Christ is your Lord. You serve to mirror him and to be the physical manifestation of what he is doing in your life. What's he doing in your life? And can some can people tell when you come in the room that Christ is doing something with you? And it doesn't have to be a stranger. Like, what do your family members see Christ is doing in your life? Like, do you show the joy that he's at work within you? So you serve to mirror him and to be the physical manifestation of what he's doing in your life. Walk with him. And be in tune to his call throughout your day. Next, offer that heartache. Uh, did you think of something when I said that? Did you think of something you've been, that's been on your mind, been on your heart? You offer that heartache, that stress up to him as your provider. You are the servant. He is the provider. You are the servant. He is the provider. Serve. And for goodness sake, let the creator and the sustainer of the universe provide. Trust him. Trust his timing. It's better than yours. He knows what's going on. I promise you, he knows your needs. He knows how to fix you better than you do. Simplify your life. Just keep it easy. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Look how he has already provided for you. Right? Think back just for a second. At all the times you've had massive mountains to climb. And somehow he has already delivered you through those. He already paid the price for your soul. And everyone that you know. He is the same yesterday. So if he paid the price for your soul and loved you enough to come down here and die for you. He is the same yesterday, today and tomorrow. And that same love for you that is willing to die for you. Has leveled up and is no longer tied to the flesh. And is willing to provide for you. Are you willing to serve? Spy your heads. Lord, we love the simple lessons. Um, we know that this Christian thing is not supposed to be complex, but we make it complex. You would choose and desire for us to walk with you, and you would choose and desire for us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. To become like Jesus, figure out who he was, how he reacted, what he did, and to serve others around us so that they could see Jesus within us. So we pray this week we would launch forward um, in service to Christ. 
listening to the Holy Spirit, asking the Holy Spirit to indwell upon us, to be in our spaces, that we rebuke the devil when he comes and messes with us, and then we would look for an opportunity to share joy. That our, We pray that our countenance, our face would show joy. That we'd walk in the room and, and, and whether it's a smile or we, we lift our, our, our brow a little bit to show that we're not laden and weighed down, but that we see what Christ has done for us, that we would share him with others. And that you'd allow this topic, this conversation of servanthood and provision, that we give you the ability to provide and get ourselves out of the way and that we would focus on being a servant, and that would change us moving forward. We pray these things, Lord, in your name. Amen.